0: human experiences with God and His words, so we can love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. I'm excited to have a new friend on the podcast today. It's a friend I've gotten to know over the last couple of years, since I think maybe the fall of 2020, fall or summer of 2020. Gotten to know him through Facebook. He is his name is Seth Ritchie. Uh, you'll get to know him here in a little bit. But the the thing that has stood out to me in the two years we've interacted on Facebook is that we've dialogued about some controversial stuff And he doesn't always agree with me but he models the kind of interacting that I want to exhibit where where I seek to understand the person I'm talking with I don't personally attack them he's challenged me sometimes in the common threads or offered a different perspective or or sometimes he'll see people attacking others and he'll come to their defense, even if, even if he doesn't necessarily agree with that person's viewpoint, he just is uncomfortable with how the dialogue is going or whatever. When I started thinking about doing the podcast again, and here in 2020, I thought we need to have conversations about uh, either discussing how to have healthy disagreement, or even just modeling on the podcast I have a couple discussions I would love to get I haven't finalized them yet but where two people disagree about something but we're talking about it on the podcast where we can model uh, friendly grace-filled loving disagreement among Christians and Seth's name was one of the first ones that came to mind so I reached out to him and we've been dialoguing it's been a couple months now in the works uh, we actually recorded this a couple weeks ago and so I'm excited about the conversation. It's really good. The, the full conversation is about an hour and 40 minutes. And I shortened it up for you guys here and those who are members get a little more in-depth version of specifically I ask him what is his philosophy about knowing which conversations to enter and which ones to just stay out. And he he has a, a, a wealth of just wisdom that he shares. <laughs> That is good for any of us to listen to. So if, you, if you'd like the deeper dive or any uh, any of our expanded podcast episodes or deep dive essays that we release monthly for our members, go to asherwitmer.com forward slash member and you will learn how you can sign up for the expanded version of the podcast episodes. Now for my conversation with Seth Ritchie. <laughs> All right, it is good to have on the podcast today, Seth Ritchie. I guess, uh, I assume that's how you pronounce your name. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seth Ritchie. It's good to be here. Welcome to uh, Unfeeling Christianity. This is the first, for everybody listening, this is the first time we have met outside of Facebook, Facebook Messenger or Facebook uh, comments and interactions. I sort of know... Um, your in-laws a little bit I've met okay. met them uh, when they were over in Thailand, but I've never met you and okay we uh we've interacted on on facebook and and uh basically, just to give a short little intro, and then I'd like uh, to get to know Seth better along with everybody else listening. um Seth and i have i it'd be interesting to know how we started interacting on Facebook. But we've had a lot of dialogue on Facebook over a lot. Yeah. If you stretch out over the last couple of years. couple of years, yeah. Yeah. There's been different times where we uh, interact on Facebook. And and we have, in our interactions, and just for the record, we I, I do edit these. So if, if there's stuff that later on you're like, let's take that out. Sure. We'll just edit it out. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> um, in our interactions – as we dialogue about things I, i've really appreciated the way seth has disagreed whether with me or other people in the threads um just it, it's always felt respectful i've always felt uh respect from him and i feel like he offer, offers substantive uh contribution to the conversation and over the last couple of years, I think all of us have noticed that online and Facebook, it's hard to have conversation where people are disagreeing without it just becoming really polarizing and kind of antagonizing and, and almost the sort of thing. There's been people who talk about how they they want to follow my my stuff, but they unfollowed me because of how the comment threads were going. It was just so so uh, difficult to read through and that made me kind of sad because it was people who I would like (laughs) I would like them to be commenting more um not not because they agreed with me necessarily but because they they have good things to offer and so I just last year when I thought about starting the podcast back up again I was thinking I should do a episode sometime dialoguing with someone who doesn't always agree with me but someone who models good healthy robust conversation and Seth's name was one one of the first ones that came to my mind and so we've been messaging back and forth for a few weeks here now about doing this episode and and I'm glad that he's joined me on here today why don't I I literally know very other than that you're you're married to Heather used to be brown. Um, I don't really know much about you. So just, yeah, tell us about yourself, your family, what you do where you're from.
1: Sure. So I I live and have always lived in uh, Western Michigan, uh, the west coast of Michigan, we call it. Um, And um, I grew up in a family that until I was 11 was not Anabaptist at all. We were I guess you'd say in the holiness branch of churches, we went to a missionary oh, okay. church. Um, and. Um, my parents went through a theological shift at that point when I was 11, I, I have one sister um, that is a couple years older than me. And my parents philosophy was always to very much include us in their thinking processes and things like that. So when they shifted theology we shifted theology and it was right in a time when I was kind of building um my faith as well so that was that shapes a lot of who I am and um so apart from that I guess we um I work at a nursery that my my father started a home business that uh, has grown to about 28 or 29 greenhouses and um Manage a few other managers and supervisors in that process. Plan on uh, taking the the lead role in that as standard tires. So that's my okay. occupation. Um, we have four daughters. My wife Heather. My oldest daughter is um, nine, and I uh, have a seven year old, five year old, and a six month old. Okay. Um, so during the course of the the conversation t- uh, tonight, you might see my wife pass back behind me to get our baby that doesn't always sleep through the night. Um, but that's kind of where we are in life right now. We've been married for 10 years.
0: Okay. So. Sounds sounds good. Yeah, we have my wife and I, Teresa, and I have four kids as well. Okay, just uh, we have three boys and a girl just finally had our our girl. Um, she's almost two year and a half okay and our oldest busy days, days. <laughs> so, yeah so you guys you, you're you in michigan western michigan yes which is uh what are some of the cities like traverse
1: city area uh no traverse city would be two to three hours north of us so oh, okay. um the easiest way hold up your hand we're about right there <laughs> yeah okay um so we're we're directly west of Grand Rapids um okay. so Grand Rapids is about 30 miles away or so um uh, we're right yeah. along the lake shore here about 4 or 5 miles from Lake Michigan
0: yeah what would you said sorry maybe you said but what how old were you when your family kind of shifted theology i was 11 11 so what what you said holiness you were from holiness background
1: yeah, so my parents were raised Nazarene, um, okay. and then they they had been part of the Nazarene church until I think around the time my sister was born. And then um, there was a, a missionary church in in the area, and I, I, I'm not really for sure on all the details why they left the Nazarene church, but I know they were attracted to this missionary church because they were very strong in child training um mm-hmm. and in family and um they and and in worship i mean they're sometimes their i guess their evening services would go like three hours and they just bring blankets and lay the kids down on the floor and all that i mean it was oh, wow. and they had a church school and so that was something that they were really excited about that um we might be able to be a part of it the, the school actually closed down just before we were able to be a part of it so we didn't join it but okay um The, um, yeah, I guess the, some of the scriptures were opened up to mom and dad about things like, um, divorce and remarriage, the, the the roles of men and women in the church, the, um, the head covering, um, and so we kind of went through some of those awkward times of. I think the very first time we visited a Mennonite church, my mom and sister had Amish bonnets on and my dad wore a tie and they still had wedding rings on. And so, oh, okay. it was, so it was just, you know, a, a mix of transition and that's
0: what we were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I grew up in a conservative Anabaptist setting. Mm-hmm. Now I've spent the last, uh, 2008 what is that 14 years out here in california did you know i'm based in california yes I'm not, yeah. yeah i always kind of assume people if they follow my work know where i am but um so now our setting is is full of of mixture of things sure. so um and I guess that
1: was, that was another thing I wanted to bring up is that the church that we were in until I was 11 was a mixed culture, mixed racial church. And I'm so glad that I was born into a church like that because mm-hmm. I really miss that in a lot of the Mennonite circles. I, I love mm-hmm. my Mennonite brothers and sisters very much, but there's almost a monoculture when it comes to mm-hmm. um I don't know, just uh, all aspects of culture, you know, yeah. I had some good friends and mentors that were um, African-American. and um, yeah. I, I really miss that in a church setting.
0: Yeah. So you, you can't, you come, um, I'm curious how, since our, since the conversation is discussing like how to have, have dialogue about different perspectives and, even when you disagree and so forth what would you say that some of the background of your your faith journey and your family's faith journey has kind of equipped you or or helped you um be able to dialogue where you have differing opinions without without it escalating into a where it feels personally threatening um i think so um And
1: this is, I think, one of the big problems is when you only listen to the people that think like you, or um, if if you've never had to test why you think the way you think or believe the way you believe, um, it feels threatening when when other people do. Mm -hmm. Instead of. If you're if you're already doing that, if you're already testing what you think against Scripture, if you've if you've been through that, um, you you're kind of equipped to say no. This is something we all need to look at: is what what is real and what is true here, and um, draw some conclusions. And I guess I don't know how to how to quantify how how all that's impacted. Um, but it is something I noticed through some Bible school experiences, people from large Mennonite communities, they it almost felt like we were speaking on a different wavelength sometimes. Um hmm. because the, that dialogue couldn't exist as as freely. There's more dismissiveness or something. I don't know. that my perspective. I'm sure they might have thought of me as a little out there or something, but um okay. the but anytime you just isolate within one thought pattern and don't let it get challenged, even if it's, there's a lot of truth to it, it's still dangerous. Because one of the things that we found as we came into the Mennonite church, Dad is asking a lot of questions, and so I got to kind of witness this a lot. He would say, well, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Um, and so many times the answer was, I don't know, That's just what we've always done. Interesting. And so there was a disconnect between what they were doing and why they were doing it. And we had come into the church with a lot of reasons why we're doing this. You know, we don't just leave a church community and family and start looking very strange to all those that are are near to us for no reason. We thought it was very scriptural. And it was sad to get there and they almost knew less than we did about why they were doing it. Hmm. Um, and that that was kind of disheartening. Uh, but hmm. I think that plays into your question about um, how to handle challenges to your to your convictions or to, I mean, obviously, disagreements can be about a lot of things. But um, yeah. uh, the the ability to discuss different points of view Mm-hmm. is lost if if you don't have those other points of view challenging you a lot
0: yeah yeah it's the the reason this whole conversation is meaningful i think it's meaningful for anybody who who interacts on social media but mm-hmm. but for me um i i have had people say that I only I only listen to people who agree with me. And those, those people saying that are often people I'm feeling are either whether it's whether it's directly to me, or even just to other people on the thread, like feel feels like they're, they're going more after the person and not like, Mm -hmm. discussing the idea. And, and so I, it's it's hard especially when you're in a disagreement with somebody like it's hard it's hard to um say no you can disagree with me if if you do it this way like that sounds that then sounds like
1: trying um, to control the conversation yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: it has to and so uh, um i guess maybe i'll just throw this question your way like is is there a place to well first of all i guess it'd be i'd be curious to hear where you where you started where did we start interacting i don't even remember where we first started interacting
1: other than a comment here or there i think it was the whole jacob lake um, oh okay okay the the posts surrounding that and yeah um so just a little bit more about where I come from when it comes to the media and politics. I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh. I I loved the Paul Shanklin satire that he had and stuff like that. So when I, when I start saying things like let's stay away from mockery, that's not an easy thing for me to come to Hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because that I enjoyed that kind of, um, banter that was in, in talk radio. Um, and so, and I'm sorry, I forget what your original question was there. Why I, why I brought that? I think
0: I think, I, think <laughs> I I had asked kind of a string of questions, but um, oh, my question was what? Where did we first start interacting? Okay, with- so yeah, and then so I was going to
1: talk about how I got into that Jacob Blake conversation
0: yeah. because
1: largely i had been seeing things like trayvon martin and ferguson missouri and things from that perspective of this is just blown way out of proportion by the media mm-hmm. and um so it was interesting to hear a counter perspective which i think your main perspective on that situation was let's grieve that this man was shot mm-hmm. um and i was like well you know what that's right we should Um. And that was a very toxic conversation across the board, as I recall. Um, yeah. And then, but then, you know, I've I've kind of followed you from there, and and didn't always agree, didn't always disagree, just like to think deeply about some of these topics, and hmm. I appreciated that you're willing to stick your neck out
0: there and talk about them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's in, I I get that a lot. That you're willing to stick your neck out there and talk about. It. <laughs> uh, s- sometimes it might be more ignorance than anything. Um, if I knew that it would ignite quite the the controversy or whatever, I, I probably wouldn't have brought it up in the first place. But um, yeah, I mean the whole the whole Jacob Blake, I had I had uh, I talked about. Yeah, I mean, there's kind of some backstory to that. I don't know if I'll get into it right now, but the whole summer of 2020 had a lot of different mm-hmm. things to to bring up. But the thing about Jacob Blake that struck me was I had i I have friends that could have been Jacob Blake, like sure. w- and would have acted just just like him in many ways. His encounter was maybe more excusable. Um, yeah, even though, yeah, the, the, yeah, depending on who you talk to, it it may not feel that way. But, but you know, he did, he did walk away from cops, like he, he was resisting arrest. Um, mm-hmm. And, and from where I grew up, my upbringing, that that would have been appalling, like, don't complain mm-hmm. about anything that happens to you if you're gonna resist arrest. But, but now that I've developed friends who I I have no clue what was going through Jacob Blake's mind but I can imagine what would be going through some of my friends' minds and why they would rationalize like just resisting the cops out of the sake for the sake of of taking care of their kids or whatever even though they have records and like they don't like on the paper they they look like very troubled men and easy to to um uh arrest or press charges for, and so that's kind of where yeah where the whole my my whole perspective came from was the the grief of like it's just a the, the whole scene is chaotic grieving the the conflict that that brought Jacob to that house in the first place and then the 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 mist distrust between law and mm-hmm. and uh civilian and and then the shooting and everything um, and so, yeah, it was, it was surprising then to have a lot of people, uh, the the way they responded to that. I was just going back through, uh, I don't think I've cleaned out like my, for the Facebook page, the, the messenger inbox since then. And I was going back through kind of cleaning out the messenger inbox and was just struck at all the, around that conversation specifically, um, a, a lot of people that sent in messages and, and, and such in regard to whatever happened, I didn't go back and look at the thread again. Um, but I, and I, and now I don't even remember what the questions I had asked before. But um, one one thing that I started around that time, I guess it's that if that's where you started following, I started noticing you uh, would engage conversation, even recently, you've done this, you, you would kind of repeat back or like try to, to say what you're hearing from the mm-hmm. posts that I did. Um, and, and then I, I remember even some about uh, racial conversations you offer different perspectives, I think you were uh, one of the guys that got me onto to reading Thomas soul. And, mm-hmm. um, and I've, I value that, like, I've benefited from that, That's that's broadened, brought in the whole conversation, or for me, it's brought in, you know, learning more through that. Sometimes, sometimes we come at the conversation, or any conversation, like it's either or, it's either yeah, you know, it's either Thomas Soul or, uh, Ibram Kendi or you know some somebody on the who would have a different take or whatever, rather than recognizing kind of the the fields they're working in and how they might be
1: yeah.
0: interacting with each other, um, and so I guess the broad question that I would have for you is, I was gonna, I was gonna go, I was, <laughs> I was gonna ask the question, like, what are some principles that you've learned about interacting online, but maybe, maybe we should start first and dissect like, why, why did, why does a conversation like that Thomas Blake thread, or not Thomas Jacob Blake thread, or um, um other conversations, it's, it seems like any any conversation. (laughs) And even as I'm talking, I'm thinking like, so in 2020, I didn't really patrol my threads at all. I just kind of whatever. And then after Mm -hmm. 2020, I decided I'm not interacting at all. (laughs) Well, then I heard from from people that were the kind of people that I would like for them to comment on my threads that they had stopped. Following the page, and so then I decided. Well, I'm going to patrol the threads. Like I'm actually going to, if somebody's attacking other people mm-hmm. um, or just trolling, then I'm going to block them. I'll appeal to them, and then I'll block sure. them. And I would say after about a year now of doing some of that, I have see, I have noticed that there is a shift that there are more people interacting who who do well. Like they're not just Attacking just a few weeks ago, there was a thread that that got a little out of hand, and I don't always know the rhyme or reason to which ones go that way or not, but um so i it does seem like there is a level of whoever's hosting the thread maybe can kind of create mm-hmm. the culture or the environment. but what would some of the things that you see? Why do conversations on social media? Become so polarizing. Is it? Are we just more and more polarized as a people? Like, are we that way outside of social media? Is there something unique about social media or the way we interact on social media? That I think it is unique in that um,
1: there's a. Let's just take some of the logistics of it. Okay, um, it's not the best kind of communication. You don't have all the nonverbals when you just. Um, commenting on a thread, um, as opposed to even interacting like you and I are, let alone in person, mm-hmm. um, it, it's reaching more people, but I think in a less effective way, kind of like a billboard. I mean, it's, it's out there, but the context is completely lost. Like it hits people. What i found is that different, if, if I, different moods I'm in when I read something, things will hit me weird versus other times i might be in a more thoughtful mood or whatever um and so mm-hmm. in a conversation you're where, where you're in the same community in the same room you're sharing a context and you don't have any of that in social media so just from a logistics standpoint it's already losing mm-hmm. <laughs> um and you're interacting a lot of times with people you don't know so you don't have a shared history you don't have I mean, sometimes you do, or sometimes it's, it's limited, um, and, but that doesn't have to be. I mean, case in point, you and I are getting to know each other without having uh, had toxic disagreements. Um, one of the advantages logistically, of course, is that it's written down so you could, if, some, if, you, if, you, if people would take the time to be thoughtful, they could actually read and reread, mm-hmm. And try to understand, but I think we often just go off that initial gut feeling of what was said and express our emotions without doing a whole lot of thinking. Um, my wife and I, I think I, I mentioned you um, that my wife and I, during our, our courtship days, were not in the same community. We were mostly on the other side of the world. She was from Virginia, but she was a lot of time in Thailand. And so there was times where it was like, okay, I would get up in the it was eleven or twelve hours difference depending on time of year, and I would get up in the morning at six in the morning so that we could have a, a Skype call um, around for dinner time. Well, that wasn't too difficult for me because it was the first thing I would do getting up in the morning. Well, you think of when you're. Um, 20 21 years old however old she was at the time and she has a family she's at uh, i go there and there's a lot going on and the obligations and stresses in that context versus my context were different so we had to learn how to understand each other's um mm-hmm. perspectives without you know if, if i got up and she wasn't available or other times it was the other way around um so I have a level of understanding because they're in a different world than I am. Mm-hmm. Now that that may be easy to do when you're pursuing a relationship with somebody, but what if you're just kind of loosely following somebody on social media and you're in an entirely different context? I mean, you, you're not really motivated to try to understand the world somebody's coming from, and I think that's a lot of the the doors that if people would listen to your conversations on race that you're you're trying to open there is not so much that people should take a politically liberal point of view that tends to emphasize race but more open your ears up to people that are in a different world than you are and Mm. and hear their voices you know Mm. and the other thing is when you're in different worlds um you only have so much capacity for conflict. And so if you're at work and you have conflict and you come home and you want to sit down and enjoy social media or whatever and you see this crazy far-out thing that's totally different than the way you think, well, it's it's easy just to blow off a little steam on it. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And so trying to humanize each other, I think you've used that recently in some of your posts. Um, mm. I think is is huge. Just trying to imagine who this other person is that I haven't met on social media that I may be responding to um is big. Um just an example. Okay, my wife when she is pregnant, she gets as sick as I've ever seen somebody. Mm. Um so this last time she was on five meds was on a pick line for uh, daily fluids um just gets super super sick okay that puts her in contact with other people because she she helps um some online groups um that are other women facing these same circumstances Mm -hmm. she's had to talk people off the ledge of abortion numerous times when i was younger I thought of abortion and maybe it was presented to me as something of convenience. People just didn't want to deal with a baby. And so they chose to have an abortion. Um, But when you start interacting with the people that are actually on that edge, Mm -hmm. you start to see that human element, the agony they're going through. It doesn't make it any more right to take an unborn life, Mm -hmm. but it does give you an empathy with them to hear where they're at, and to um, hear their cry for help. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the kind of thing that we, we need a little more of, is just opening ourselves to, to seeing people that are in worse circumstances than we are and taking the privilege we have um, of not being in that circumstance, or if we have gone through it, to relive the pain of that
0: to help them yeah that's good and i think i think another aspect of social facebook especially but social media is it does the algorithm rewards the negative the controversy the controversy and so then yeah we do tend to see that that probably a little more than the the positive but um yeah the the whole the whole aspect of humanizing i i um that that's not original with me um first first of all, I've heard other people talk about that like how we need to humanize each other in conflict but then i just I randomly asked for i forget why I heard somebody yeah i forget, I forget what inspired me, but I just asked people like how could i how can I pray for them mm-hmm. uh here a couple weeks ago. On on social media, there was a conversation I had had offline that made me think about like you know, well this is a good question to ask people. Period. Like anywhere, Mm -hmm. and you never see that on social media. And I was surprised how how many people actually responded publicly, but but then even privately, and even even um there there was one person who's told me that I'm deceived about a certain thing shared a prayer request with me. (laughs) And I was like, wow, like, I almost muted our conversation. (laughs) Because, because it was, it wasn't going anywhere before. And, and now he saw the uh, my um, invitation to share a prayer request, and he shared a prayer request. It was, it just helped me see the the human behind all these different people. Um, And so I was struck by how it changed my perspective on them. And I think any, any way that we can find that Mm -hmm. um, even entering, yeah, entering people's context is, Is engaging in social media, is there any value to that? Like, what? why do you continue to engage in social media? Or should we, like some people would say we should just get off the social media. Is that what we should do? I totally
1: respect it if people want to do that. And there's times where I think I spend too much time on it. Um, Because I think we do need to be careful about the time we spend and how our relationships in person are compared to, these somewhat relationships online you know i mean there's Mm. again there's a capacity issue there but um i think to me the value has been learning to consider other viewpoints um than what i maybe had um it's (laughs) So another thing story about my dad. Um he he often listens to, to sermons while he's going to sleep. Um he has ringing in his ears and he enjoys hearing something. And so um uh, he, he turns on the, the one he affectionately refers to as his favorite heretic, uh Jay Vernon McGee. Because okay. he disagrees with him on so many different levels. <laughs> and yet and, and he can fall he, asleep on that? Yes, because well, for one thing, his voice is such that it's yeah. it's kind of soothing. But I think that he enjoys listening to him even when he's awake because it's like it comes from a totally different perspective. I mean, he's Calvinistic, he's mm-hmm. hyper dispensational, he's um, a lot of different things. But I don't think he the dad distrusts his heart, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the keys to all this. Is while we're hearing these other perspectives, is there any element of trust? And that's mm-hmm. trust is a hard thing to build over social media, and maybe it, it mm-hmm. can't be, but um, just take any conflict, social media or otherwise. Um, there's no healthy conflict without trust. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Patrick Lancioni's uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, but the, the base of that pyramid of, of dysfunction is when there's an absence of trust. um because the second one is there's no healthy conflict and there can't be healthy conflict if if we don't trust each other enough um he had a quote i wanted to bring up on this topic um when when there is trust conflict becomes nothing but the pursuit of truth and attempt to find the best answer Hmm. and whereas what i see a lot of times in in these combative debates is the whole thing of it's actually the whole point of conflict is to make me look good or make my
0: Hmm.
1: win the argument you know Hmm.
0: Hmm. say that quote again when there's trust
1: conflict when there's trust conflict becomes nothing but the pursuit of truth and attempt to find the best Hmm. answer Hmm. and i've seen this played out Hmm. a lot um on my in my job so Uh, my dad and I are are kind of the head managers of, of our company, but we have other managers and supervisors and we'll get together in a meeting and sometimes they they just sit back and watch dad and I, cause we'll, we'll very robustly dialogue very directly, Hmm. um, without being intimidated, without a fear of that. And, um, all for the purpose of coming to the best conclusion. So we push back on each other. My, I had a professor in college that was in in the small business uh, field, and he was it was marketing class, and he was he would convince people going in that their business idea was going to fail um, because he kept pushing back on all these assumptions, every little weak point. Because this is, I'm sorry, bookstores don't make it these days, you know, and everybody wanted to open a bookstore or whatever it was. Mm. And because it's not to be mean, it's not to, it's to come to the to the most realistic form of, of uh, the, the facts that are relevant to whatever we're discussing. Mm. And if we can take the emotion out of it, and that's very hard, we're emotional people, but if we can take the emotion out of it, um, at least where, where it gets personal and, and defensive uh, it can really help the conversation actually reach the goal of finding truth
0: yeah yeah that's good and that I I read um the five dysfunctions of a team last year and it it was incredible how it uh, there was a particular situation here locally that I was working through and and that whole absence of trust mm-hmm. just not quite but it felt like it was it put the finger right on the the issue and as you build that trust or deal with like what broke the trust so many other things come back in the right in the place and allow you to begin they gotta having, be vulnerable to do that yeah yeah so, uh we are over our hour here. Um I have a <laughs> couple more questions, but I don't know do you are, you are you pressed for time? We can we can talk a little longer. <laughs> for those for those who don't know, we're recording this. It's getting fairly late in the night for Seth, so of course he's pressed for time. Um but one one question I'd be curious for you especially for me personally is so so you you talked about how you choose which conversations to engage in. For me, I actually don't engage in other conversations very much. I'm I'm creating the conversation or posting it. Mm-hmm. And the thing I struggle with is how do I know? Well, the quite the question that I sent to you is how to handle disagreements, but even mm-hmm. even more than that, like sometimes sometimes a disagreement is like somebody offered a different perspective. I know I've done this with you different times. You offered a different perspective. And I don't really have anything to say in response to it. Like it's it's a valid, valid point to the conversation. Mm-hmm. So I may not respond to it, just kind of let it mm-hmm. stand. And but then somebody else might come on and the the tone or the temperament just doesn't sound gracious or something. And so then I start engaging them. Because I want to kind of curb that where sure. it feels like it might be leading, and then um well then I get accused of of coming after the ones that disagree with me and or or only liking ones that agree with me and so i i'm con I'm constantly evaluating or like trying to learn how how do I know how to handle disagreements, how to which disagreements to engage? Um do you have any thoughts on that like how do you handle if somebody if you leave a comment or you make a post and somebody comes on you di- disagreeing with you what's kind of your process for that I guess I
1: come back to what how how much do I know them how much have I seen them interact Do I think the conversation go anywhere I had recently posted on my own feed a Something that um, I'd kind of been inspired um, during a a Sunday sermon about you know we we talk about our turning the other cheek and, and non resistance as a way of life when it comes to our um, not going to war and things like that in our in our Anabaptist churches um, and yet I think a broader application of that and and much more common application that would be uh to not get defensive in our tone with one another, Hmm. and the only comments i got were from uh friends and family that couldn't get past the first part of not going to war not engaging (laughs) in self-defense so that's what they were commenting about about how that that was certainly okay and and uh and One of them was a a combat veteran and, you know, I just posted about not being defensive. And Mm -hmm. so I was thinking, well, should I engage with them about this? It wasn't really what the post was about and it would make me look like I'm being defensive. (laughs) So I I just was like, well, you know, a lot of people would hold that point of view. And, (laughs) and I didn't really think it was, that I was going to have a chance at convincing them anyways. Um, and so it was just, just kind of let it go. Um, yeah. If people actually want to engage in a conversation, then I'm totally willing to do that. So sometimes you just gauge where it's at. Um, are you familiar with um, Rosaria Butterfield? Yeah. Um, her, her works. she, uh, in her book, about coming to faith from a um lesbian feminist professor um I'm, at syracuse yeah
0: she um
1: talked is that, oh,
0: which one is that i'm familiar with uh the gospel comes with a house key is okay that, so no this is secret thoughts
1: of an unlikely convert so okay. this is her testimony her, her autobiography essentially yeah. um it, it, it's a great read yeah, um the way she came to faith was she was critiquing she she was as part of her um I think it was part of her doctoral thesis was um critiquing the religious right and its use of the Bible and so she was devouring scripture from multiple translations, just to try to get to know the fundamentalist she was writing about, um, and she had written an op-ed when Promise Keepers came, to, and I think they used the Syracuse um, Stadium, um, and wrote an op-ed about how these were just chauvinists that shouldn't be allowed on the campus, and all this. She was being her her um, self there. And she got a whole bunch of mail in response to that, and she divided it into two piles: the hate mail and the the supportive mail. And then she had one letter she could not figure out where to put it. And it was from a Presbyterian pastor that invited her to have a conversation. And she said that was so different from all the fundamentalists that she had encountered before that, and the the um, Let's see if I can, so I can see this whole quote here. Um, She said that Christians always seem to me like bad readers. They appeared to use the Bible in a way that Marxists would call vulgar, that is common, or in order to bring the Bible into a conversation, to stop the conversation, not deepen it. She goes on to say that answers come after questions, not before, because she was talking about how people would say Jesus is the answer. Answers answer specific questions in pointed ways, not in sweeping generalizations and what she was getting from the the um, religious right was using the Bible to condemn her to stop the conversation whereas this this minister that um was so influential in her um conversion was saying let's let's talk about this, and he invited her to their home um wasn't afraid of her homosexuality, wasn't afraid of the fact that she brought a bottle of wine to the to a minister's house you know just um and the way she put it is he walked down the long road to get to her to bring her back down the long road to get to jesus, and so that whole thing of I, I say all this to say when do we engage? Are we engaging in the way that that religious right, so many were engaging with her and confirming her bias of them as just uh, bigoted? Or are we engaging in a way that will make them ask more questions, mm-hmm. make Christ attractive to them? And so you know when it comes to like politics and when it comes to these controversial things it's like i'll let, I'll, I'll let somebody else win the argument it's hard for me cuz i like arguing um and i enjoy debate but at the same time it's like you know what at the end of the day if i win a debate but alienate somebody mm-hmm. i've lost mm-hmm. um that's not to say i won't respond if i feel like i have something to say but a lot of times those conversations just are too deep to have on, on a yeah. social media thread um and if i cut people off uh, you mentioned the one uh, earlier that um asked for prayer even though felt like they might have been hostile before if i cut people off just because i'm not willing to take a hit for the team as it were um what have i gained you know are we mm-hmm. thinking in terms of the kingdom of god or are we just sparring You know, let's leave the sparring to stuff like sports and stuff like that but you know, i'll i'll get in and talk trash when it comes to that because it doesn't matter you know it really doesn't matter but we mm-hmm. we lower the value of these other discussions when we treat them the same way yeah
0: um yeah we we we've talked about like how do, how do you know when to enter a conversation and then how to respond if somebody attacks Ooh. you like what are maybe just to kind of <laughs> wrap up our time here what are some things if you're in a conversation or you've you've chosen to enter or i mean this can be these are truths i'm sure that can go into any situation beyond social media, too. But how do you how do you how do we disagree? In a way that people, first of all, the ones involved in the conversation feel respected, feel the mm-hmm. dignified, but even people looking on might actually be like, wow, like, they love each other, like, you can tell that they have a, a love for each other, even though they're disagreeing about the, the topic they're talking about.
1: So how do we disagree in a in a godly way in a loving way? Um, yeah, it can't happen without that trust. And 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 over social media, you almost got to just make a choice to trust and step out there. Um, yeah. And sometimes you might get harpooned. But um, and so I'll just say that I I have to assume that you are a person of goodwill if I'm going to come and say, well, brother, what about this? Yeah. Um, I think we, we talked a little bit about, um, before this conversation about the fact that, um, recently, I think you posted something about, um, eschatology and your, your mm-hmm. views on that leaning more on millennial. And I tend to be much more premillennial in my, in my viewpoints. And so in the uh-oh. past, I've, I have i have what's that? <laughs> I said, uh-oh. Well, I just, I thought, you know, as an example of something like this, you know, I, not yeah. I have no interest in debating that topic with you at this point.
0: There are premillennials in our, in my church, so it's <laughs>
1: Yes. But it's at the but at the same time, if I were to debate you on it, if yeah. I were to respond to it, you know, there's a number of things that we could say that wouldn't have to go down the road of toxicity. Mm. Um, one of the things I like to do when it comes to disagreements is first ask questions. It's like, do so. uh, You say this. What about this? Mm -hmm. Or I think this is what you said. Can you expand on that? All the while, kind of assuming that we might disagree on it, Mm -hmm. Um, but giving you your fair say on it. So, um, instead of just responding to a post about the idea, I think um correct me if I'm wrong but I think one of your last posts on that said something about a lot of revelations already occurred or something like that
0: um I'd I'd have to see which which I think it was the introduction
1: to one of your previous podcasts a conversation with the professor
0: yeah I forget exactly what I said on there um but the 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 notion that you know stuff like the mark of the beast was was probably referring to a an actual mm-hmm. leader at that time yeah right
1: and so i could i could come at you with well obviously that's wrong and not even deep in the conversation or mm-hmm. i could mm-hmm. say something along the lines of well, what do you mean by that what 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 is that referring to um uh, which parts are from that day which parts are future and are they exclusive one or the other you know just yeah can we have a conversation where we explore each other's beliefs about something in a trusting and humble way recognizing that especially with something like eschatology that is not crystal clear um but there is a lot of definitive scripture about it that we can deepen each other's understanding when it comes to it you know um it doesn't have to be a fight it can be iron sharpening iron it can be um um engaging. I I remember um before we became Mennonite, we'd never heard of anybody believing anything else but the seven year tribulation and all that. Um and so <laughs> one of I, I forget if it was I think it was after Dad was ordained in the church, the, the lead minister, an older man, um we found out was on millennial after dad preached a sermon on the revelation and the way things are going to be and all this mm. was told that it was unsound doctrine and oh, and, wow. and all this and so um that kind of blind side is like oh people believe something else i so just didn't have any idea yeah. and um so one thing led to another and and Eventually, uh, I think it was one of SMBI's, uh, Shareman Millennial Bible Institute. Those maybe unfamiliar um, in Pennsylvania. They they host a minister study week. I think in February, or at least they, they did. I don't know if they still do. Um, and Dad used to go out to that with with other people from the church, and he uh, he he said it was frustrating because so many times he would want to have this dialogue with amillennialist. It's like, why do you believe that? What do you do with this scripture? How do you, how do you handle Israel? All these different things. And nobody, it was was too threatening. It was, it Mm. was viewed as threatening. And so, but there was this one minister and I don't even, I'm not familiar with who it was. Um, but he was willing to sit down with dad and they had like an hour long conversation and, um, they, they had a mulligan they set up beforehand that you know if if you get to a point where you just don't know, then you just say, the Lord's ways are higher than my ways. and And each of them used that Mulligan, I think, once uh, in the conversation. But they both came away from it, you know, edified and strengthened by it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that either one was convinced of of anything else except for the fact that they were both brothers in Christ, and they mm-hmm. they um respected each other's views. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and I, you can take that too far. Obviously, the world's solution to these disagreements is the postmodern idea. Well, you do you, I do me, your truth, my truth. And that's not accurate either. But the question is, if we are pursuing the truth as Christians, how do we get there together? Yeah. In a a trust filled way. Um, my, my father-in-law, uh, recently was telling me about somebody in his church that takes a different view of the traffic laws than he does. Um, and the, the brother said, you know, Brother Duff, I just, you, you obviously see them this way and I see them this way. And, you know, we're, we're both kind of set in our ways. What are we going to do about this? And my father-in-law just said, well, brother, I think we love each other. <laughs> and so we do, you know. Yeah. And so the, uh, obviously some some things are, are worth disagreeing and even dividing over and some aren't. Um, but can we discuss them with that mutual trust and love? Um, recently, in our in our Sunday school at church, we were, in, we were going through Second Timothy, and I was struck as I've been thinking about this conversation over the last few weeks. I was struck by Paul's reference to social media. Did you know he talked about social media um, in Second Timothy too? He said. Um, be diligent, or excuse me, let me back up to verse 14. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers, but be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman that who, do, who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And, you know, the the contrast between wrangling about words fighting about words and rightly handling the word Mm. it just struck me i don't think i'd ever seen that contrast so starkly and i think that's that epitomizes where our conflicts often are at is we're, we're wrangling about words thinking we're dividing the word or somebody is dividing the word and somebody just accuses them of fighting over words and being discerning enough to know that difference and to engage in that appropriately. And interestingly enough, we talk about eschatology. He goes on to talk about somebody that did not uh, follow that, somebody that had said that the, the, um, the resurrection had happened already and overthrew the faith of some and all this. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, the answer to that is he didn't go into this deep eschatological argument. He went into two things. The firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. And so we, we we get into these detailed, nuanced conversations, and that's great. But sometimes we have to zoom back out and look at the bigger picture and say, the Lord knows who are his. Maybe I need to focus on getting rid of a sin in my heart before I correct somebody else's theology. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times, cults like this one that he talks about that said, well, it's too late, everything's already happened, um, are just an excuse to hide sin. You look at every cult that's out there, and that's usually what it is. It's a misuse of scripture to hide sin. And so often, I, I think these, these really um, toxic conversations come, like you say, it comes from our hearts. And it may be there because we're hiding um the sin in my heart and so I'm deflecting it onto somebody else's um political view or something like that and Mm -hmm. saying well they obviously need to change because I'm not going to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting over here. Mm -hmm. And if we would just step back and say, um you know what, I gotta get rid of this sin before I can even engage appropriately. That was the whole thing of the molten Mm -hmm. beam, right? Mm -hmm. Um and trust that the Lord can handle the people that are his yeah
0: that's good that's powerful and i think i think it's verse eight of second timothy two where he talks about um keep your attention keep your attention fixed on jesus christ as uh risen from the dead Mm -hmm. descended from david that's been been um something i a year ago i was i Preached the sermon on that and was thinking, we've just been convicted by how easy it can be to, to, to put our attention because in as as you were pointing out, like there's there, there was clearly a lot of kind of controversy going on that that Mm -hmm. Paul was uh, guiding Timothy and how to sort through and how we can, we can feel like we got to get this all figured out. Mm hmm and yet paul's instructions are to just keep jesus as the center right To and to focus on our own how are we being conformed to jesus and and sometimes that actually like when when you stop and think about it that feels like harder work it would be easier to to know clearly like where the you're wrong i'm right or or even I'm wrong and mm-hmm. you're right, and I gotta completely but we need a Holy Spirit to to empower us, to guide us, to interact in in a way that Jesus stays the center.
1: That's good. And I think there's when we get to heaven, there's gonna be a lot of things that we thought we understood that we'll find were so much deeper than what we mm-hmm. ever considered. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why we need to approach all these debates we're talking about, all these, whatever it's about, with a good dose of humility um, and saying, you know, I I don't have all the answers. This is my observation. But see what the Lord has shown with other people, too. It's not a, all Scripture, um, it says, is is not a private inter- Scripture prophecy. I forget which word it is, in Peter talks about isn't a private interpretation and the lord has given us the church for a reason um mm-hmm. uh, and social media can't replace the church um mm-hmm. we we need our brothers and sisters in person um mm-hmm. holding us accountable and and helping us through life We can't do it alone mm-hmm. um and I, I i agree for those that church has been a, a bad experience for some of the reasons we've been talking about because mm-hmm. I think it is the gift of God to us to to help us grow, and when it's become the opposite, that's, that's certainly not God's fault. It's man's fault um, corrupting that, and where, where there's lack of trust, where there's lack of healthy conflict, where we aren't actually pursuing the truth together but pursuing our own agendas, it's it's really really sad. Yeah. And whereas you know as hard as some of my church experiences have been i i have an overarching love for the church and so when i approach people that claim the name of christ in social media i can at least with a measure of that appreciate them even if we might not have the same perspective on
0: everything yeah yeah well thank you seth for for sharing with us and um and just yeah, being willing to have this conversation, I sure, I definitely echo that. I I appreciate your presence on social media. Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure there's a lot that we could discuss, debate about. Um, and yeah. I look I look look forward to getting to know those more. But um, I. I guess my, my heart, my desire for this conversation for people listening is that, that we can, I I think we're the world, our culture, American culture, maybe the world at large is at a place of tremendous fracturing. And then, um, you know, not having conversations, Mm -hmm. It's, it's too heated, we don't even talk. Maybe we mock each other and then we have the conversations about the other people in our own groups. And yeah. sometimes it's mocking and, and demeaning. But we, as the church, are, are called to something completely different. And yet mm-hmm. we're still like we're still humans and we have many different perspectives. And so we're, we're going to feel the tension. But how do we navigate through that and, and dialogue in a way that is totally counterculture, different yeah. from the, the world? Um, so I hope I hope this can at least spring our imaginations for how how can we do this in a way that it's not like any I don't I don't know if people who really disagree with me I don't know if they listen to the podcast <laughs> if they are listening to the podcast. I I hope you understand. I'm not trying to get you. I mean, I I I would like if you would agree with me on some issues. That's not the point of this conversation. The point of this conversation is for all of us to learn how to to talk in a more respectful, uh, loving way.
1: Yeah, true.
0: Because we definitely don't need everybody to agree with me or each other. We need think of um First Corinthians eleven. Nineteen, I think it is. When Paul says that I, there's factions among you, and I know that there are because uh, there needs to be so that those who are sincere are approved. I think is is how it's worded. Um, we need the conflict sharpening yeah. each other and yeah, bringing forth the sincerity and the. Fruit of God in our lives. Thank you for spending this late night with with me and the audience.
1: Sure. Glad we were able to, to make it work, and glad to get yeah. you, to know you a little bit better.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, sometime we can uh, meet in person, take the friendship to the the next dimension. Yeah. So whenever you write the book, uh, let me know. <laughs> Have you back on and promote the book? There's some some good stuff. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for having me. (laughs) goals and podcasts, visit www.RestorativeFaithCollective.org. The second network is The Kingdom Outpost, where we talk about what it looks like to live